In today's episode, I chat with Jessica from the Fioneers about recovering from burnout, managing mental health, and using money to design a new life. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much for being here, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Jessica, who is a full-time human being and a part-time writer and lifestyle design coach. She is a co-founder of the blog, The Fioneers, a globally recognized and award-winning resource focused on building financial freedom and designing a life you truly love. In her free time, you can find her spending time outdoors with her husband and dog, road tripping in her camper van, and playing complex board games. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I know we've been kind of following each other in the blogosphere for the past few years, so I'm super excited to chat with you on the show. I know you have an amazing, incredible story about kind of how you got started with blogging and your new life today as it relates to mental health and money. So let's, you know, just dive right in and and talk about kind of how that started. So a few years back, your mental health struggles came to a head and and you were having panic attacks and and needing time off of work. What was going on at that time for you? So this was in 2018 um, and I was extremely burned out. I was working 50 plus hours a week. I was commuting 45 minutes each way to work. And on top of that, my work was extremely stressful and pretty toxic. So I was constantly being asked to do too much work. It was being held against me when I tried to set boundaries. And finally, I think the nature of the work was was just sort of too stressful at that point in time. So I worked in organizational development um, in HR. And I was in a position in a really challenging organization where I was trying to help improve the organization's culture, but felt like I was constantly working against my boss and the senior leadership who weren't really trying to make changes in the organization's culture. They had lip service to it, but weren't actually willing to to make significant change. And so I felt like I was just constantly 
stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Employees thought I had more power than I actually did. So people would sort of constantly come to me thinking I could do something about their challenges. Um, And yet, like, despite trying to make changes and trying so hard that it ruined my mental health, like I still felt complicit. And so, right, so I had all of these things going on mentally and emotionally on top of just the sheer number of work hours. And so, yeah, so it was actually, I remember the specific day and it was actually my ninth wedding anniversary. I had this like really difficult and courageous conversation with my boss about how she needed to take more of a leadership role and people needed to know where she stood. And that was a hard conversation. There was like a lot of tears and a lot of frustration, right? And and then that night I woke up at 3 a.m. I had having a panic attack that lasted for like three hours. Um, and at that point knew that I could not go in, into work the next day. Oh, that sounds so difficult. And to be in that situation where you're constantly overworking and being asked to do too much, and then you're put in this difficult position where you're not really doing what you're you know, meant to be doing, and you're kind of put in a, between a rock and a hard place, as you say, and then you're having these very emotionally charged conversations, and things are just kind of being stuck at work and you're like, what am I doing? This is how I make my money, but this is ruining my mental health. And then, yeah, having a panic attack at 3 a.m. I mean, I've had a few panic attacks and they really truly feel like you're dying and that you can't get enough air and that everything is collapsing in on you. And I'm, I'm glad that you at least listen to your body and you realize I can't go back in. So what was that next day? Like, did you call out sick the next day? What was your kind of thought process? Yeah. So I called out sick the next day. And luckily, I had already been seeing a therapist for about six months before that, and already had an appointment scheduled with her for 9am that day. And so I, I think that was a really fortunate circumstance that I just happen to, you know, already have a therapist, whereas I know it can be hard for people who go through something like this if they don't already have support. It can be sometimes hard to find that. And so I definitely feel really fortunate. So I went to therapy at 9 a.m. the next morning and my therapist right away was like, something is wrong. We need to talk about this. Right. And I think at first I was like, "Okay, maybe it'll be a couple days And then I'll like get back to normal, you know, and sort of go back into it. And she was really wonderful, Um, you know, in in at first like having me take the lead and say like, yes, you can take time off, take a couple days, take a week. And she supported me through that. And after a few days, it became clear that it wasn't enough, right? And that turned into a couple of weeks, which then you know, we got to a point that it was like, okay, this isn't going away. Um, I can't, like, I'm not just going to be able to go back to normal after a couple weeks. It was like, I, I almost think of it as the, like the analogy that I think about was like, I had this dam in my brain, right. That was holding back all of the stress and the anxiety and the burnout. And 
with that panic attack in that specific situation, it was like a few years ago, I think that there was like a big dam in California that broke. And so then the water just like rushed through and then they needed to fully shut down the flow of water to be able to rebuild the dam. And that's how I felt like, that's what I felt like was needed for my mental health that like I couldn't manage any stress. It was like looking at my work computer would trigger a panic attack or like opening it up would trigger it or, you know, stuff that was just so incredibly simple that I realized I needed to do that same thing. I needed to shut off the flow of water, right? Of anything that was stressful so that I could rebuild that again. I love that analogy. And I think that makes so much sense with what you were going through. And so how did you navigate that with your workplace, like realizing that I can't go back to this place because it's literally killing me. It's hurting my mental health and it's not getting better because oftentimes we think, oh, I just am overdue for a vacation. I need to take a week off or maybe two weeks off you know, just sleeping it off will make it better. But in your story, it doesn't get better. So how did you navigate that with your workplace? And what were your next steps? Yeah, so my workplace was not large enough to be a place that was covered by FMLA. So the Family and Medical Leave um, Act. But if it was, right, I that is a resource that people can use to take a leave of absence for mental health related things. Luckily, my workplace had at the time unlimited sick time and a disability policy and all that was needed to be able to sort of to do an application for short-term disability was actually a note from my therapist. And so I actually got a note from her saying like, Jessica needs to be out of work for, you know, X period of time. And at that point, right, you have a medical professional who's saying that and your work can't really do much about it, right? Like after a certain amount of time, you know, they would have been able to say, okay, we need to fill the role, right? But we weren't, you know, at that point yet in the process. And so, and, and and then also one thing too, because everything was so anxiety producing and stressful that like, I couldn't even look at my work computer. I formed, a, like I, I formed one point of contact so that there was one person that I would reach out to that could reach out to me and they would coordinate every question and request, right? And so I didn't have a ton of people reaching out to me. I just had one person um, who was reaching out. So that was really helpful. And then for a period of time when I couldn't even handle that, I actually had them reaching out to my husband who would then make sure I was like in a good moment to say like, hey, can we talk about a couple of work things right now? I got an email. And so that was helpful to be able to reduce the stress that I needed to, to be able to start to rebuild. Oh, that's great that you, you know, were able to get a note from your therapist and kind of have this leave that was available to you. I, I'm curious about the financials. Was this covered paid sick leave or were you kind of um, unpaid, taking unpaid sick leave at this time? 
Yeah, good question. So it was technically the organization, I was able to get paid for two weeks um, of, of sick leave. And then I was approved for the short term and long and then later long term disability leave um, that lasted for about five months. And so that did end up covering about 60% of my, my wages. Um, and so it was definitely helpful. It definitely took a very long time to get approved and then finally to get actually paid from the short-term disability. So at the time, right, we were using funds from our emergency savings to help um, to help cover that because, you know, I got all the payment in a lump sum months down the road. Oh, interesting. And and just curious, was this through your employer or through a separate policy you had? It was actually through my employer. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, and I think one thing I would say for for people thinking about this is many employers do have short and or long term disability policies. And some of them you need to opt into, right, on an annual basis and pay a small premium. Some of them will cover it completely for you. But if that is an option, absolutely take that option. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> that. I, I think that's so important for people to to realize, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, that, that made it so much easier to take the time that I needed. Even, right, even though I knew, right, I, and and actually this was the first time that I looked at my finances in a way that was like, how can my money benefit me now, right? Like, I think I had always had this like saver mentality, you know, I started out my career with a really low income and and so when I increased my income, it was like, okay, I can inflate my lifestyle a little bit, but like, I never want to be back in the situation where I need to do AmeriCorps and make $11,000 a year and somehow try to live on that, right? And so I had always just sort of put money away thinking like, okay, this is money for some far off future date. Like it didn't feel real, felt like kind of monopoly money. And so when I was in the situation where I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to do now? I could apply, you know, take the time, apply for the disability, or I could just quit, right? And so, it, but it was the first time that I looked at my emergency fund and said, what does this mean for how I can live my life today, right? And so I realized I had about nine months of emergency savings, at the time, or like what I might call FU money. And with that, I realized, wow, like I could not work for nine months. And then it dawned on me that like I'm part of a partnership and, you know, we're a two income household and save a significant portion of our income. So we probably wouldn't even need to draw down too much of that emergency savings, even if I quit entirely. And so that gave me a lot of confidence to be able to take the leave, right? And if I wasn't approved for the short-term disability, I would still be okay. And so, yeah, and I think in that moment, I started to view money a lot differently, right, as something that could improve my life today. I love that. And I think, you know, 
it sounds like it was a really transformative time for your relationship with money because instead of just thinking of it as this utilitarian thing that you use to pay bills or for the future, you realize that there was an immediate need right now to take care of yourself and your mental health. And thank you so much for sharing the process about getting short-term disability through your employer, because this is a topic that I'm very passionate about shedding light on, because I didn't realize until this past year that um, I believe depression is one of the top causes of disability worldwide. And that is something that we should all be you know, more aware of about what that looks like and also how to get it and how to get benefits when we have access to them. And then also, you know, what can we do if we don't have those benefits? And it sounds like you were able to both access the short-term disability through your employer, but also you had that security of having those nine months of funds to say, even if I didn't have that, I have enough to take care of my mental health and I think we all realize at this point, you know, two plus years into the pandemic with war and everything that's going on in the world right now, that no job is worth your mental health at all. Because if you don't have mental health, you don't have anything else. Everything else in your life starts to crumble, your physical health, your relationships, everything. And so I'm so glad that you were able to have this kind of transformative time with your money and with your life. You know, what was it like during that six months that you took off or around five or six months? Like, what did you do to recover? What was your thought process of, of next steps? Yeah. So, so first I was in the like crisis management stage. Right. And so I, I was, I didn't, I didn't do any sort of like inpatient or outpatient program, but I did do regular therapy twice a week until I found a group therapy to participate in. That was a, an eight-week dialectic behavioral therapy group. Um, and so it was kind of a course that focused on like building the skills needed to manage and understand difficult emotions. And that was really transformative for me. I still think about the skills that I learned in that program and sort of still sometimes go back through like the checklists and, you know, the different processes. So that was incredibly helpful. And then I would say it was focusing beyond that was focusing on my like everyday life. Right. And so it made me realize that like self-care by subtraction was incredibly important. So I needed to remove everything that was stressful from my life during that time and focus on these burnout recovery activities. And then I could decide what in my life do I want to put back in. And so I focused on a lot of the burnout recovery activities like exercising, outdoor walks, swimming regularly, meditation, spending time with friends, and doing some self-discovery kind of work. So meditation. I did a lot of journaling and reading and figuring out like, what do I actually want now? And then I actually started my blog during my leave of absence. And so just to start chronicling some of the things that I was learning and the ways that my mindset was shifting. And so that, yeah, then it, then I was able to start putting some of the things that I wanted back into my life, you know? So figuring out what do I want work to look like? What do I want 
like the other activities that I do outside of work to look like? How much time do I want to have? How do I want to feel on a day-to-day basis? Um, Those were some of the questions that I was asking myself. And I think realizing and maybe asking for the first time and realizing that those were questions that I actually got to think about and answer and feeling like I had agency to figure out what I actually wanted for the really first time. Yeah, that's so important to have the time and space to figure out what you really want to do and what you need and have that time to process. And I know before we got on this recording, I was telling you that I actually recently took a break from the podcast for my mental health and took a break from my writing. I I wrote much less in May than I have in the previous eight years of my life. And it's been so interesting to process these emotions that I haven't processed in like 15 years, 20 years, things are coming up and, and having that deep space to, to rest and to process. And I think, you know, obviously it's a privilege to have that, but it's so important if you can access that deep healing in that rest time. And then, like you said, know what things you want to add, but also what to subtract, because sometimes we think, oh, I just have to add this, this, and this, and this, but then we're just kind of creating more to do's and it can feel like, I have no time to myself or no time to even figure out what I want to do. And I'm curious, you were talking about the, I believe, dialectical therapy that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. What are some of those processing difficult emotions in the checklist you're talking about? If you have any tidbits to share, I would love to know. Yeah. So the, I think I'm trying to remember exactly, but I think the like basis behind dialectic behavioral therapy is that like you can hold multiple things as being true at the same time, right? That like you can feel bad and there can still be good things going on in your life. I know that's like a very rudimentary view of it, but a few of the specific things were one, becoming mindful of our emotions and any emotion, right? And so we, I know, like, I remember there, there being charts of, like, all of the different kinds of emotions and getting really specific about what is the emotion that I'm feeling right now and what then is that emotion telling me, right, to do. Um, and, and, and seeing, like, that no emotions are bad, Right. I I think I used to feel like, oh, negative emotions are bad and I should push them away to starting to believe that all emotions are useful and they're telling me something. And so that was a, a definite thing that was helpful for me. I think one other, a few other things, actually. So one other question related to the mindfulness of emotions was once you could identify the emotion so to and, and and one thing that was helpful for me was realizing that anxiety is actually a sub emotion of fear and it's actually anxiety is feeling fear when you don't have a reason to feel fear and i realized that there were certain situations where I thought I was feeling anxiety, but in actuality, I was feeling fear because there was actually a reason for it. 
right? And the feeling actually fit the facts. Like my workplace was actively harming my mental health, right? And staying there and this this anxiety that I was feeling or really this fear that I was feeling was going back into that situation and having it continue to degrade, right? Like I don't think that was anxiety because that fit the facts of the situation. So like anxiety is, I learned was, when you're feeling fear, but it doesn't fit the facts of the situation. And then that's when you can use different strategies to help work through that emotion, right? So different sort of self-soothing strategies or, you know, thinking through, okay, what are the facts of this situation as well? Um, And then figuring out what you want to do about it. But realizing that in the situations where your body and your mind are saying like, no, this is a reason to be afraid and the feelings fit the facts, this means that we need to take action to change the situation, right? It isn't what can you do to continue self-soothing and letting it continue to degrade your mental health. So that was, I think, one of the most important things that I learned from it, as well as I think just focusing on some like basic self-care. So learning about key things that help to reduce emotional vulnerability, right? And so knowing that there's sometimes where I would experience more depression and more anxiety. And some of it might have been related to like not eating enough food that day or not getting enough sleep the night before or consuming too much alcohol the night before, you know, or something like that. Like realizing what are the things that make me emotionally vulnerable and working to minimize those and to figure out what are the things that that make me feel good and then realizing too right so not just minimizing the things that that contribute to emotional vulnerability but what are some of the key practices that help me to build resilience and to sort of fill up my own cup too hey there thanks so much for listening to the mental health and wealth show I want you to pause real quick and take a mindful minute. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And exhale. Take a deep breath again. And exhale. Taking a moment for yourself is so important for your mental health. Now, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying this episode, please review the podcast and share it on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart and share your thoughts. It'll really help spread the word about the show and help others with their money and mental health. You can also support this independent podcast and buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. All of those things are such great insights and thank you so much for sharing and Yeah, I love the kind of getting back to basics of figuring out what in my physiology, like related to hunger and sleep and what am I 
putting into my body that might be affecting my mental health. Like I know if I get less than six hours of sleep, I'm just a complete mess. And (laughs) my boyfriend is so sweet. Sometimes I'll be really emotional after a bad night of sleep and he'll be like, babe, remember you had a bad night of sleep? And I'm like, oh yeah, that that reminds (laughs) me that I should be gentle with myself and, you know, not feel like such despair or at least know that it's temporary. And Mm -hmm. I love what you said about, you know, all emotions are useful because that took me a long time to learn as well. I think, you know, so many of us, as soon as we have a hint of a negative emotion, we want to eat it away, drink it away, sex it away, whatever vice you have to try to, you know, get rid of it or to to manage it. But it's important for us to sit with those emotions and realize they're not quote good or bad. They're just telling us information. And what can we do with that information? Do we need to change something in our environment? Do we need to change something in our input? Do we need to change our jobs or our relationships? And obviously some of these answers to these questions are not easy at all and can require a huge life change. But as you mentioned, like these can provide so many answers to help us move forward in our emotional maturity and our mental health and our resilience. And yeah, it sounds like you learned so much during this time. One other thing that I just thought of as you were talking was I saw a quote at one point um, that was like therapy. The purpose of therapy is never to adjust to oppression. And I, and like that really struck me during this time because I think that that is how I had been using therapy was to like manage and to say, well, this is just what work is like. And I need to figure out how to change myself and the way that I approach these situations rather than using therapy or using self-care to say, how can I get myself to a place that's better? Right. How, like, how can I use this as a way to take action to make my life better rather than figuring out how to manage something that's bad for me? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, you can't have all the therapy in the world to try to fit yourself into a box that you don't fit in or to fit into a poorly constructed box that people aren't supposed to fit in anyways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how can we kind of break these boxes and create new ones and create new realities and new lives? And so it sounded like eventually you were able to kind of move on from this job and, and make changes in your life. What did that look like? Yeah. So so I took about six months off um, of work. And then I decided that when I went back to work, I wanted to go back part time, right? At least for now, or at least for a period of time, right? And so I started applying for jobs. And then I did find one that would allow me to work three days a week as an HR manager, which wasn't, again, ideally what I knew I wanted to be doing long term. But it was a step below my skill level. So I knew it would be easy, right? And a way to like get back into work that would allow me to continue the burnout recovery um, period. And so I ended up working with that organization actually for about two years, um, three days a week. And it was actually a really like healing experience. I had an awesome boss. I think if she had stayed, I may have actually stayed in that job forever. (laughs) Right. And I might actually go back to a traditional job if I could work with her. 
But about a year and a half into it, my mental health was improving. I felt like I had more time and energy and so decided to expand my blog that I had been running at that point for about two years into a side business, right? So originally it was something that I was like, hey, let me try out the work that I would want to do if I didn't have to work, right? Like what's, I, I was, I asked myself like, what's the work I would do if I didn't need to generate the income? You know, like I know people, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in the financial independence movement, but I know the people who reach FI and retire early, they end up doing work anyway after retiring early, right? And so I kept asking myself, like, what is the work I would want to do anyways, even if I didn't need it? And realized that I would want to, you know, help people reach financial freedom and I would want to help them to design lives that they truly love and figure out how they want work to fit into that, right? And I had thought about for a period of time doing career coaching, you know, with my my HR background, and then realized like, I don't really want to do career coaching like by itself, right? I I want to help people figure out how does work that they would love to do fit into their overall life that they want. And so that I, I decided, I guess, to take my, what my take was on career coaching um, and really focus more on what is the life that you want and how do you want work to fit into that. And so I started doing some group coaching programs in sort of mid 2020. And then after about nine months of, of running that that business, um, I was generating enough, not uh, not enough to cover our full expenses, but I do have a partner, um, definitely enough to cover more than half of our collective expenses. And so decided that I would be able to quit and take the leap to become an entrepreneur. And so now I work part-time running my business. So I work about 25 hours a week focusing on writing um, and and coaching and courses and meetups and, you know, so probably somewhat similar to the kinds of things that you do on a regular basis as well. And I love it. And it provides me with the time freedom and flexibility to focus on my health and my relationships and on the things that I love to do outside of, of work as well. I love to hear that. Congratulations. I know it is such a journey, but to be able to do this type of work and can supplement your mental health, like it's such a gift. And I know I talked about this on my episode with uh, V a few episodes back about, yeah, I, I'm, you know, have been self-employed for about, you know, eight years now. And it's the way to go for me, especially with managing my mental health and now my physical health. Like I just, it offers so much flexibility. And for people like me who need that extra time and care to do that, I mean, it's such a great way to have that time where I don't have to be taking sick days all the time or ask someone's permission and to do that. So I just want to congratulate you, number one, and then also talk a little bit more about your work with helping people. So 
you know, if someone's interested in, in working with you, you know, how can building financial freedom now help people enjoy their lives and improve their mental health before reaching financial independence? Yeah. So there, I think there's so many ways. I think there's this myth amongst the like personal finance or financial freedom space that like financial independence is all or nothing. Either you are like fully financially independent and you never will need to work again, or you're like destitute and need to continue working in your like high stress job. Whereas I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's different milestones along the way that provide you with different options, right? So I think one, you know, one thing is debt freedom, right? And so getting to a point where you have debt freedom or even fewer things that you owe reduces your expenses over time. And having lower expenses could allow you to more easily find a new job or make a little bit less money doing something that you would enjoy more. Or, and and then I think of having emergency savings or what I think of as this FU money, right? Allowing you to get out of a bad situation or take advantage of an opportunity that can allow you to take time off from work if you need to, to deal with your mental health or simply to travel and take a mini retirement or have some runway to become self-employed. Um, right. So, so that's one thing too, that then can give you a lot of, of time freedom. And then one other thing that's been really valuable for me to learn about. And I think a lot of others is an idea called coast financial independence, And that's the point at which you've already invested enough that that money will grow to provide you with a comfortable traditional retirement at the age of 65, right? So so basically at this point, right? So say someone at the age of 35 spends $50,000 a year, right? Or something like that. Someone who spends $50,000 would need you know, 1.25 million to retire comfortably or very comfortably, right? If you're if you're thinking about it and using, you know, some of the traditional 4% rule and things like that, say we don't need to necessarily get into all the math right now. But if someone who's on the younger side, so say someone at the age of 35 can save and invest early, they would only need about like a little less than $300,000 to be coast by, right? And that money then over the next 30 years will grow to provide them with that 1.25 million, but they saved less than 300,000, saved and invested that. Um, And I think this is a really powerful milestone along the path to financial independence because what it means is that you then only need to cover your actual costs until the traditional retirement age, right? So if you only spend 50000 a year, you only need to make 50000 a year to be able to cover those expenses. And so it can allow you to scale back, right? It can allow you to work part-time or seasonally or do freelance work and less of it, right? I think sometimes people think that, freelancing and starting their own business, they'll necessarily make less. I don't think that's true. Um, 
But when, once you reach Coast Buy, you could intentionally say, great, now I can reduce my income over time. So those are a few specific ways and, and milestones that I think allow people to take advantage of the financial freedom. Yes, you brought up so many great points. And I definitely am with you in that debt freedom can be one of the first goals that you can set to really kind of free up your future self and that extra money going towards your debt to, you know, save and invest. I know me paying off my $81,000 in student loan debt completely just set me up for success to save and invest in the future. And just side note, I know you just mentioned that, you know, some people think you're going to make less as a freelancer. I think it really depends on your industry. For someone like me who was coming from the nonprofit sector beforehand, the most I had ever earned in a traditional job was $38,000. So freelancing was able to double that and then triple that eventually by having my own business. And I would not really have been able to earn the same amount in a nonprofit because nonprofits, you know, historically don't pay very well. There's always kind of a feast or famine cycle with the grant cycle and funding is always rather precarious. And so starting your business can really free up some extra cash and create more money than you thought of. Obviously, if you have a cushy six-figure tech job, it might be a different story, but I always advocate for people who might be more traditionally low income, you know, business ownership and entrepreneurship can really create more money. I know for me, that has been the case. So I also just wanted to mention that. And I love that you spoke about Coast Fi because I think that idea is so exciting that you can have this amount saved and invested that will be enough to traditionally retire at 65 and then you're you're good and you just have to worry about your expenses. And I think people figuring out what that number is is so important. And I know I've had Jillian on the show who's talked about many retirements. I'm really inspired by that idea because I don't know what traditional retirement looks like for me. I know that I want to be doing work that I'm passionate about and enjoy for as long as I'm able to. Um, I'm also kind of recovering from a different type of burnout and, and illness right now. And so I am working a little bit less right now, but I'm so grateful that I can afford to do that because I have different streams of income because I did earn a lot of money in the previous 10 months before. And, you know, in January, 2020, before the world <laughs> shut down, I spent a month in Mexico city, you know, having these different adventures. I think even if you just work part-time for a month or, or, or change things, for a little while, like there are so many different options. And I think sometimes it requires us to think outside of the box and think of different options, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think too, reaching these milestones doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change everything, right? Or, right. So like, for example, when I realized that I had reached Coast Phi, it wasn't that I was like, oh, great, now I'm only going to cover my actual costs from here. I could do that, right? But I, I wasn't ready to make that drastic of a change. But it provided us with a feeling of freedom to be able to start making some significant changes over time, right? And so once I realized that we had reached Coast Vi and what that meant, it, this was about six to nine months into my part-time work and I had the opportunity to increase my hours 
and it actually motivated me to say, no, I don't actually need to. And I don't want to increase my hours. Like I am making enough money that I don't need to be sort of seeking more or like gaining a different position or making more money because I was already at that place. And so then instead of making decisions to constantly optimize for finances, I was then able to start optimizing for my quality of life. Yeah, I think having that psychological safety just opens up so many opportunities and shifts and you can really be intentional about how you want to use your money and and what works for you and start living more in the now instead of just feeling like I'm so behind or I have so much to do. And yeah, I love that. And so I'm curious, you know, what are you doing now to help your money and your mental health? Yeah. So one one thing that I always say, I think everyone can have a therapist and would benefit from having a therapist. So I invest in (laughs) mental health support. Um, I am actually at a really good place now with with my mental health, but I still continue to go to therapy every other week. Um, That, you know, sort of feels like maintenance mode, but in some ways it's like, okay, I know I have this touch point that if things seem to be like sliding in, a difficult direction. Like I know I have someone to talk to and I know that I have someone who will help bring me back from that. Even though the, you know, the vast majority of the time in therapy right now is spent talking about, well, this difficult thing happened and here is how I handled it. And I feel really good about the way that I handled it, you know, most, most of the the time, but knowing that I have that person is incredibly valuable. And still, I so in in 2018, I started taking medication for the depression and anxiety, and I continue to do that. I had taken medication prior, so years ago, and decided to go off it after I was feeling better and then relapsed. Um, And so this might be something I'm on for the rest of my life, and I think that's okay right? There's clearly some sort of chemical that my brain doesn't make on its own. And so there's, that's why their medication exists. And so I'm, I'm continuing that. And then a couple of other things. So I know we talked a little bit about this of like designing my sort of life and career in a way that really works for me. And so one thing that I do on a monthly basis is I actually have a checkpoint with myself where I reflect on like, how does my business feel to me? And what do I need to do to make sure that it aligns with how I want it to feel? And so there's, you know, plenty of times where I'm like, oh, it feels great. And then there's other times where I'm like, I work too hard this month. I, you know, or too much, or this particular thing was stressful. And I want to sort of adjust the way that I'm doing that. Um, And so I think having that, that sort of mindfulness to be able to shift things has been really valuable. And then I guess one final thing that I can talk about is I, I'm still like, I'm a recovering penny pincher, Right. And so never wanted to spend money on anything. Definitely had the sort of financial trauma from 
the recession in 2009 um, or eight and since I graduated from college in 2009 and really having a hard time making ends meet for a few years. And so now like it's been hard to get to a place where I feel like it's okay and good to spend money on things that I truly value and that add tremendous value to my life. And so yeah, one big thing actually is my my husband and I actually are building out a camper van that'll be done probably this week. So the day that this airs, we'll probably be going and picking up our camper van. And so that's something that is going to support really our ideal lifestyle and a lot of a, a lot of adventure and excitement and joy for us. So I'm excited about that. Oh, that's so awesome. Congratulations. Thank it's you. so fun and exciting. And I love that you're finally getting to a place where you can build your most adventurous life and have fun with your money. And I definitely feel you on the financial trauma from the Great Recession. I mean, I graduated in 2011 and went on 30 different job interviews and couldn't find a job and went on food stamps and was making 10 to $12 an hour with a master's degree. So I think there are a lot of us, you know, between probably 2008 to 2012, who were just really struggling. And, and that trauma is real. And I think, especially now, as we might potentially be getting into another recession, it's important for us to recognize that we might be a little more triggered and what can we do to prepare and also just make sure that we're psychologically okay. And to your point, you know, going to therapy if we need it. I'm a huge fan of therapy. I'm also a huge fan of medication when needed. And as people know on this podcast, I've been on and off medication for half of my life. And I'm back on anti-anxiety meds because <laughs> the world is too much for me right now. And I just realized that I can't do it on my own because my nervous system is like, okay, too much information right now. I can't deal with this. So, you know, let's bring in the enforcements and get some help. And I totally think, you know, if that helps you, then wonderful. Have all the tools in your resources to feel good. So thank you so much. And so, you know, to end this interview, I, I would love to hear some tips for people who are struggling with their mental health due to work and, and what is your advice and how can they work with you? Sure. So the first thing that I would say, and this is one thing I needed to learn, was that I deserve to thrive, right? And we all deserve to thrive. It isn't that I uniquely deserve to thrive. I used to think that other people were suffering and so therefore I didn't deserve to feel good, right? I, and so I think that's one mindset shift that I would encourage people to start thinking about if they're struggling with, with their mental health, Um because I think that's in some ways the gateway to every other change, right? Like you deserve to actually feel better. This isn't normal and you don't need to stay in the, the, the sort of difficult place that you're in just because others might have it worse, right? We all deserve to thrive and a rising tide lifts all the boats. Um, practically, there's a few things. So first, I would say if you're at a crisis point, right? So similar to, to where I was in 2018, can you take a break from work immediately before it gets worse? I waited too long 
And that's part of the reason why I tell my story is so that other people realize that they can make changes a lot earlier. You don't need to get to a place of no return. Um, and then lastly, I would say, so if you aren't financially able to take a break, right, immediately, or you feel like you aren't, you're not yet in total crisis mode, but you still want to make changes, a few things I would recommend are potentially downshifting your career. So finding an easier, less time and energy consuming job that would allow you to recover, get the support that you need. And as we talked about, this may or may not require you to make a lower income. Um, sometimes, depending on where your income currently is, doing something like freelancing could allow you to generate a much higher income. Finding a different job in a better work environment is also an option. And then beyond that, a couple of things are like starting to separate our identity from our work. I think that's a real problem in our society is we feel like we are our jobs. And so figuring out what else is important to us and what other roles do we want to play in our lives and how can we invest more time and energy into those? Um, and then focusing on setting boundaries around our work so that we have the time and energy to be able to invest in those things that we value. Um, so so yeah, those, those are some of the tips of things that I would recommend. I'll share a few articles. I, I have an article about like specifically how to recover from burnout, how to reclaim your identity uh, um, and not identify so highly with your work, how to set boundaries. So, so yeah, I'll share those with you um, for the show notes. Perfect. Yeah. And then to find me, um, my website is The Fine Years, and you can find me on socials, Twitter, and Instagram at The Fine Years. And then I do run a group coaching program. So for people who are sort of past the, the sort of crisis stage, right? So they've recovered from that, that, that burnout, um, that sort of extreme burnout and are ready now to say, okay, I'm in a okay, good place, and, but I'm ready to figure out like, what is the thing that I would love to do, right? In my life, work-wise, outside of work, right? All of that. And and so we walk through lifestyle design, a full lifestyle design process throughout the coaching program that I run. And so if anyone's interested in learning more about that, I'm not currently enrolling, but I do have a link on my website where people can join the waitlist. And I'll be I'll be running new programs again starting in September. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. This has been such a wonderful interview and I think so timely for what everyone is going through right now. So I appreciate your time and expertise and thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.